Welcome to Mining the Mysteries, a catechetical podcast that explores the depths of our Orthodox and Catholic faith in the English tradition. I'm Matthew Stewart, Digital Media Director for the Anglican Province of America, along with your hosts, Father Wade Miller and Father Randall Russell from St. Philip's Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. We're glad to have you with us as we dig deeper into the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is episode 12, Preach the Word. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again this week. In this episode, we are going to talk about preaching. Father Miller, go ahead and start us off on the topic of sermons. This podcast will be the last that we do for the Liturgy of the Catechumen. And so what we want to do is focus on the sermon and what role that plays in the liturgy how much significance we should give that. And so we're going to get into that in a minute. I thought this phrase, preach the word, comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4. And so I thought we would begin reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to ask Father Randall if he would to read that for us. The apostle writes, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, you be watchful in all things, Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Well, it's too bad that that has no relevance for today, right? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. We'll get into a little bit more of the Second Timothy passage, but some preliminary questions that we will seek to answer will be, why do we have a sermon? Is a sermon necessary? What is the goal, the telos of a sermon? Who's a sermon for? Should we have children's sermons? Should we have sermons for different age groups within the congregation? How can parents teach kids the faith through sermons? And also, is there a particular time frame, meaning is there a certain duration of which sermons should be? Should it be 20 minutes, an hour? We'll get into some of that in a minute. So I guess the the first thing we want to tackle is what the sermon is not, what the sermon is not. And one of the things that that we would highlight is the sermon is not a time for a priest to share his life and personality with the parish. And what we mean by that, obviously, we all have personalities. We all have different ways of communicating. I'm not talking about that. We don't want to be robotic. Right. But what it does mean is that the sermon doesn't center around us rather than around God. So in this, what we're saying is the preacher is not an actor in a play. There's a book called The Divine Dramatist, which is about George Whitfield. Whitfield was an actor before he became an evangelist. He was an evangelical Anglican. And it's interesting that Benjamin Franklin in his diaries talks about going out 
And when Whitfield was in the Philadelphia area going out and listening to Whitfield, Franklin didn't believe a word that Whitfield actually was saying, but he was entertained by the way he said it. And so we have to be careful that, again, we don't become front and center in the sermon, right? Absolutely. Well, it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent, what's his job? And that's every preacher's job, to make straight the way of the Lord, to have it Christ-focused. John's the one who says, I must decrease, but he must increase. And that's really the the goal of the sermon. And in all of this, you've already said it, personality can come through. And we're not saying that you can't do any of these things, but to make it so much the focus. I think of so many of the ministries today, if your name is attached to a ministry, I don't want to push that too much, but be a little wary because it's not about the preacher. It's about Christ. And, and that's what what you should give the people. Yeah. The second thing is not only is the preacher not to be an actor playing a part up there, but he is not to try to be a comedian, which kind of goes along with what we were talking about, right? Right. I think I've shared this with you before, but when I was in college, we had to go to chapel. It was required. I went to Cedarville, and I remember two instances that really turned my stomach. One was... The pastor came up there with a putter and was hitting a golf ball on the stage. And pastor I, Hope? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So that type of thing is is not what we want. Another thing was, and again, this happened during student chapel, but a guy got up there with cards and was doing the David Letterman shtick or whatever you call it, the top 10. And he was up there, basically people were laughing and I don't think anybody really heard what he was saying. They were just amused that he was doing the David Letterman thing. So that's not what we are to do. We are not entertainers. And you can tell when that's the goal, when that's the objective. When people walk away from a sermon, uh, again, I think it's it's not a great thing to do, but I think there are times, but only if it really focuses on Christ and, and that's what you're going to walk away with. But you can tell if you walk away and that's all you got was the gimmick. You you have no idea what the readings are. You, you know nothing, but you're like, man, Father so-and-so told a really good joke and, and just, eh. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a problem. Exactly. And... I think part of that is Father Randall and I would would agree that, you know, illustrations are fine. Even a story is fine. If you're preaching, don't go out and buy a book on illustrations and then try to utilize that. It comes across as inauthentic. And so I think, again, even illustrations and those things really need to be limited. Father and I have talked about this just one-on-one throughout our years of ministry, but a lot of the great illustrations is is found in the Old Testament. Yeah. And then the other thing is the preacher is not to give arid and technical theological treatises. This is not your time to show everybody how smart you are. Using language that you know is is going to be foreign to those listening. That doesn't mean you can't teach certain things or even certain theological principles or whatever, but 
if you're doing that every week and it's something that you know is above the heads of your listeners, that really reeks of an arrogance that we you should not have in the pulpit. Right. And you're speaking a different language, you know, the churchies or what, whatever you want to call it. It, it's going above the heads and then you're just waxing eloquently. And, you know, I remember one of the things, I don't know if you were in the uh, homiletics, I just used churches, that's preaching workshop, basically. Yeah. And uh, I remember the professor saying, your Greek is like your underwear. It's a good thing to have, but don't show it off. And I took that to heart. It's one of those things where you could go off on Greek and all the work you put into how this verb's parsed and the origin. No. People are not really impressed by that. If anything, it just, it's a, it's an aura of, of arrogance. Again, not that you can't get into depth and talk about some of those things. I mean, last week you did a great job talking about how a Greek word is used only really twice, yep. but you didn't get in there and... I didn't even say what the Greek word was. Yeah. You know, it's just like, because it, yeah, it doesn't matter. It does not do anything for the sermon. Right. Yeah. The point is the theology behind that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just going along with that. It's not merely dispensing information to the parish. Sermons are not to be running commentaries. So we got to be careful about that. And then also we would say that preaching is not like climactic point of the liturgy. It's not the crescendo of the liturgy, right? Right. Absolutely. Again, when we talked about, you know, how we were both Lutherans in seminary, when we went over the worship service, they, the Lutherans pointed out, said that there were two high peaks of the service and those high peaks were equal. And that is, you know, at the end of the service of the word, which we would say service of the catechumen, you have the sermon and then the Eucharist, you have the the people receiving communion and those are the two high peaks. And I think even back then we both were kind of like, well, what? The Old Testament is not on par with the New Testament. Now it's all all God's word, but even in the Old Testament, they're looking for the fact that God became man. They're looking for salvation manifested in Christ Jesus. And and how could you say, we've talked about this, I think, a past podcast, but uh, how can you say that the inscripturated word is equal to the incarnate word? It, it, it clearly isn't. When, when Christ comes and becomes incarnate, it's a game changer. I mean, that that's the peak, and that's the peak of the service as well. Everything's leading up to uh, the Eucharist. And on that note, you just did a great job of transition, uh, <laughs> like a good homily or sermon. So we talked about what the sermon's not. Let's talk about what it is. And you've already talked about this and really highlighted, I think, the, the real point of what we're trying to make. The proclamation... The sermon is the proclamation of the enfleshed word. It is the word incarnate. And why we talk about this is this is kind of the point of the sermon. It is to draw the faithful into a deeper communion with God. And when we talk that language of communion, you know, and we have to talk about communion. I mean, it's it's union with God. That's what communion is, union with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little word study, I guess. I, yeah. <laughs> I thought what we would do is uh, read another text that's very relevant to preaching, and that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And I'm going to ask Father if he would read that for us. 
For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So that whole understanding, we preach Christ and him crucified, that is the the focal point of preaching is Christ. So, so we said that, again, going along with this, the proclamation of the enfleshed word, the word incarnate. The second thing we would say a sermon's not is it it's or a sermon is, I'm sorry, a sermon is for conversion. Again, not just for disseminating information, it's for conversion. What do we mean, though, Father, when we talk about a sermon being for conversion? Exactly what we said a little while ago, drawing deeper into that communion with God. Um, I Looking at this verse, it's interesting. I We might get into this a little later, but uh, the question who's the sermon for at verse 24, first Corinthians chapter one, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is for the, the faithful, for believers. We want to draw them into deeper and deeper communion with God. Um, yeah. So when we talk about conversion, sometimes people think of conversion as kind of a punctiliar, like one time thing. Give and your heart to Jesus. Yeah. You're converted. Now it's done, and it's not. No, we believe as baptized Christians, conversion is to be a daily thing, right? So in the sermon, as Father just said so well, we are calling people into a deeper communion with God and a life of holiness. And that's what a, that's the goal of a sermon is, is to bring them to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit yes. who gives the ears to hear and the hearts to respond to that. Well, and kind of going back to our Lutheran seminary experience, when we look at this, we preach Christ crucified. You talked about sanctification. I know Lutherans separate sanctification, justification, and they're far, far different, but we preach Christ crucified. That's not just saying Jesus died for you, believe in this and you're done. We preach Christ crucified is not only Jesus died for you, but he died for you. Now you are incorporated into the body of Christ. And this is sanctification. This is holiness. As our Lord says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So Christ crucified is not just Christ on the cross. It's the life of the church. It's the life we are all to be living, that life of denial. That's a good point. When we talk about conversion, we're not talking about just somehow recollecting the fact that historically Jesus died 2,000 years ago. It is the fact that the power of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension is something that we now participate in. Right. Yeah. And this is, you know, this goes back to uh, baptism. Baptism is the beginning of the faith, but it's not the end. We are to mature. God wants God-pleasing adults. We are to mature in our faith and grow and, and everything. Our, we are supposed to have a childlike faith, but our faith is not supposed to be childish. Yeah, that's a good point. Helma. And then finally, we talk about the telos of the sermon. That is the purpose of the sermon. What is the goal of the sermon? Well, the goal is kind of a preparation 
partaking of that which has been proclaimed in the in the sermon, right? Which is Jesus Christ. It's the Eucharist. Absolutely. And we've talked about this before. Well, personally, and I, I remember you saying that preaching is like the hors d'oeuvres, and then in the Eucharist you get kind of the meat and potatoes, the meal. And and I've I've kind of been rethinking that. I don't think that preaching is the hors d'oeuvres. I think that's giving uh, maybe preaching a little too much credit. It's more the seasoning to bring out the flavor of what exactly is going on, to draw people into that communion with God. It's always looking towards the Eucharist. And when we say it's looking towards the Eucharist, it's because it's looking at God and flesh for you. And, and again, that's not just justification, but that's also sanctification, being part of the body of Christ. So when we look at preaching, I kind of look at it as uh, salt and pepper. It's, it's, it's the seasoning of the service. You don't want the service to be under seasoned because then why even give a sermon? But you also don't want it to be over seasoned. And if it's over seasoned, then it's all about the preacher. It's all about his preaching. It's all about his personality. And that's not what we want, what we want either. It's, it's going back to John the Baptist, that great preacher who was sent to prepare the way for Christ. He comes on the stage and in the eyes of the world, I think he would probably be looked at as a failure because his congregation keeps dwindling because he's losing all his disciples to Jesus. But that's what he's sent to do, and that's what the preacher is sent to do. I think it's not a bad thing if someone walks away and me like, well, Father Randall, he's, he's an okay guy, but man, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, oh, yeah, good. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we talked about this on a previous episode about the prophets and Jeremiah went 40 years without a convert. The, the goal of the preacher is not to be totally geared towards results. The goal of the preacher is to be faithful. And it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning in Second Timothy, right? Preach in season, out of season. When people want to hear and when they don't want to hear. Because the point is, is you are proclaiming the Word of God to the people of God, and it is the Holy Spirit who does the work. We are just the messengers. Right. Be faithful. Yeah. And Jeremiah was faithful, but just like all of us, you know, Jeremiah is a human being. Your preacher is a human being. And that results thing, I mean, Jeremiah is also called the weeping prophet, and he's perfectly faithful, but... Yeah, that had to stink for 40 years, not having one person, you know, not feeling like you're being listened to at all and, and saying, well, this matters and, you know, being faithful. That's that's our life, though. We're called to be faithful. And again, this goes back to preaching Christ crucified. It's it's not about us. And sometimes preaching for the preacher, we, we don't think about this, but preaching for the preacher is can be painful. It was painful for Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. preaching for all that time. And, you know, I'm sure he, he didn't enjoy that. I know he didn't enjoy that. Yeah. No. Well, another thing before we go on is you, you already kind of mentioned this, but I, I think it's worth highlighting. We don't pick our own texts. <laughs> you know, we don't just come up with our, our own ideas and texts and those type of things. The church calendar really sets the theme with the collect, the prayer of the day, and then the readings most of the time correspond with that collect. And so there is actually living this incorporated life in Christ is what the calendar does. Right. 
And so it's drawing everybody to that theme. Last week you preached on the baptism of our Lord. So that's the theme. And, and I even told you, I, I think beforehand, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I wasn't looking forward to that because I, I think I've talked about baptism. And it's like, oh, but I'm going to follow the text because that's what's before me. And I have to preach all the counsel of God and, and not just the parts I like. And that's that gets back to when we talk about the preacher not being a comedian or personality, not saying, I want to do this, mm. so I'm going to find all these texts to to make this one point. No, we have to struggle. We have to be like Jacob. We have to wrestle with God. Mm. And there are parts of the text that you don't really want to address, but you sort of have to. Now, at the same time, there's always variation in this because you're not required to actually preach on the text for the day, correct? Yeah, I think, uh, well, you have multiple texts there. I mean, you have the epistle, you have the gospel, and then if you do incorporate the Old Testament or Psalm, so I think you have four options there. Right. But what I'm thinking more of is uh, we both lived in New York and we weren't there when September 11th happened. But I imagine when September 11th happened, mm-hmm. a lot of guys are going back and probably reworking their sermons because you have to address it. Because, again, we're not given a book. We're, the church is a living, breathing entity. Mm-hmm. And when a national tragedy like that happens, it's probably worth mentioning. Yeah, that's a good point, too, is getting back to we're not robots. We do know our people. We know the situation. Anybody that knows what happened in 2007 here in Blacksburg, the horrific shooting Goodness. that took place on the campus. So, yeah, there are, there are times where you do address that because that's on the hearts and minds of your people. So we're not saying be robotic, get up right. there and just give a pre-canned sermon. You do need to know kind of where your people are. However, the sermon is ultimately always the comfort is in Christ. Yes. It's it's not just focusing on the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the joys. It's focusing upon Christ. And this is how the preaching office really is a prophetic office. You said not robots. That's exactly right. But it addresses the needs at the time. And and the need of all time is Christ. We need Christ and we need to draw into a deeper relationship or a deeper communion with him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now we're going to go on and look at a text that I think really is a great text to that encapsulates encapsulates everything we're talking about here, and that's the Road to Emmaus text in Luke chapter 24. This is a little lengthier text, but I think it's really, it's it's a good text as we talk about the role of the sermon, the role of preaching. And I'm going to ask Father, if he would, to go ahead and read Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 31. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another, as you walk and are sad? Then the one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not and have you not known the things which happened here there in these days? And he said to them, What things? 
So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and a certain women of our company, who arrived at the tomb early, astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So here you have two men traveling on their way to Emmaus, and we read from the text, it was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and then suddenly somebody joined them and started talking with them, and that was... Jesus. Jesus, yeah. And so they, it says their eyes were restrained. They did not know him. So then Jesus says, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk? And why are you, you, know, why are you sad? And then one of those, Cleopas, he then tells what happened. And he talks about the fact that there was this prophet from Nazareth named Jesus who had done mighty things in word and deed, and how eventually he was killed, he was crucified, and then he was buried, but then when they went to the tomb, there was no body. Well, when the women went to the tomb. Yeah, when yeah. the women went to the tomb, there was no body, and so they are discouraged because they think that probably, most likely, his body had been stolen, something had happened, somebody had taken his body or whatever. And then Jesus then, he then does what? He preaches. Yeah. And, he, and he preaches from Moses and the prophets. He's preaching from the Old Testament. And he expounds to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because I would argue all the scriptures are about Christ. Yeah. And so when he preaches to them, this is, this is where I say it's the seasoning. They're getting a taste and now they, they kind of hunger for more. And, and if you you look at the text, our Lord's going to go on. But they're like, stay with us. They want to hear more. Mm. They're hungering. And so they, they want to learn more. And I'll, I'll let you finish it. I was No, no, that's good. Yeah, they, they ask that he abide with them. And, um, and so then Jesus does something that is repeated that we do today. He sat at the table with them, and it says he took bread, and he blessed it. Sound familiar? Yep. And he broke it, 
and then he gave it to them. There's the fourfold action of the Eucharist right there. And then suddenly that's when they knew him. Yeah. It was the crescendo. Yeah. And and in all of this, I think we need to understand this is scripture. This this is a sermon in itself. And and I really believe the point here, you said crescendo, you're exactly right. The point here is where Christ now wants to be seen. Their eyes were restrained from seeing him so that they did not know him. And they did not know him in the preaching. They hungered. They, you know, they, they got a taste. But when their eyes were opened, that's when our Lord took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And it's like, now this is where I am. You you need to see this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so, so yeah, so that's that whole thing we were talking about. And it's a great text as we kind of wrap up the liturgy of the catechumen or the liturgy of the word is that all of that is leading up to the climactic point, which is what we'll talk about in future episodes, which is the Eucharist. I'm going to give a couple texts for, for those that are listening that want to look look at this a little bit more, but some great examples of preaching. Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 39. Peter really gives you a theology of the Old Testament and shows how Christ is the fulfillment of that. The same with the next sermon, which is in Acts chapter 7, and you can read all the way through verse 53. And there is Stephen, the first martyr of the church, his sermon before the Hellenistic Jews. And his whole point in that is that the temple, Jesus is the fulfillment of that temple. Right. That it, they should be looking for brick and mortar or stone and mortar or whatever, but now they should be looking at the temple not built with hands, yeah. which is, is Christ. It's a human body. It's, it's Jesus. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we can learn here and, and this also, you know, preaching and interpretation of Scripture go hand in hand is the way that we understand the old covenant is always through the eyes of Christ and the new covenant. In other words, it's what we've talked about before. The old is, is Christ concealed. The new is Christ revealed. Also, let's talk about some practical things as we start to wrap this up a little bit. But one of the things about sermons, too, is that they're not to be provocative. Again, it's not about the preacher. He's not to get up there and just say provocative things. That's not really preaching. Uh, that's been called shock, shock jock preaching, mm-hmm. which is not really preaching. But at the same time, even Peter talks about the stiff-necked people, which is kind of like the old covenant. You find that in, in, um, in Moses and Jeremiah or whatever. But sometimes sermons have to challenge people, right? Right. It's not just telling people what they want to hear. It's going back to what we said at 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's not just telling people that what their itching ears want to hear, but it's telling them what they need to hear. Yeah. Um, and when we shock jock preaching, you know, you, you don't need that because if you're really listening to the gospel, there's enough there. Going back to 1 Corinthians 1, 
Christ crucified to the Jews as stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Yeah. That alone, the fact that God became man yeah. as a human body, a human soul, a human mind, and then was nailed to a cross and died. And guess what? That's victory. That's enough shock. It's It's been the message of the church for two thousand over 2,000 years now, and people are listening that in it in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus was crucified. He was provocative enough. <laughs> right. We don't need right. to uh, try to one-up our Lord. You know, I, the interesting thing here, when we, we talk about preaching, it's so funny. In my ministry, I don't know if this is true for you, but in my ministry and the sermons I've preached, it's not anything I've said that has kind of got me in trouble or people really pushed back on. It's stuff that Jesus said. Yeah. Especially if you quote scripture and and sometimes you don't say you're quoting scripture just because all of that has become a part of you. And it's kind of like, oh, I take issue with that. Jesus alone is, wait, no one goes to the Father except through him. And it's like, yeah, but I didn't say that. That's that's Jesus. Yeah, and especially when our Lord talks about mammon, money, yeah, that, that hits a nerve. Yeah, which he tends to talk about quite a lot. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. A couple of things we didn't discuss that I just want us to, to touch on here, and that is, should we have children's sermons or should we seek to try to kind of segregate the congregation so that we are hitting each age group? I think when we look at the the scriptures over and over again, it talks about the body of Christ. It's talking about unity. Segregation, I don't believe, is a good thing, especially in the parish. So I personally know I, I, I don't think children's sermons are, are a good idea. Now, I think catechesis and classes for children, I think there's a time and a place for that. But I don't necessarily think the liturgy, because the liturgy is for the body of Christ, and children are a part of that, and they need to be there. But parents know their children better than, than anyone else, and they, they know their strengths and their weaknesses, you know, and everything else like that. Parents can teach that and, and whatnot. But no, we don't want to segregate the congregation. How far are we going to take that? And I think you see that in the church too. You have a service for everyone. You have the country Western service, and then you have the hip hop service, and you have, you know, all these things. We don't want to be separated by those things. We want to be in communion with God. And that means in communion with the saints who have gone before us and the saints who are still with us, which is the congregation. We want true unity. We want to be one. So no, I'm not a, a big fan of segregating, at least during the, the service. Yeah, one of, one of the things we've touched on in the past, I think one of the strengths of our Anglican tradition is the common prayer. Tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we do, we do in common. And one of the things I would say to parents, one of the most important things that you could do is lead by example. In other words, stay in the service. And keep your kids there as long as you possibly can. If they're being really loud or they didn't sleep well the night before, I understand all that. We're not, again, this isn't a, a law. But I think one of the things you can do is is teach your kids by trying to, to be a part and to be attentive to the service. Teaches your kids more than what you would ever imagine. They imitate they mimic what they see, what they hear, 
And I think that is something that is becoming less and less of an emphasis. And we need to we need to restore that because that is absolutely important for catechesis. So the other thing is how much time should a sermon take? <laughs> I know we do we you know the Puritans you, you see it on movies and stuff where there's an hourglass and then sometimes they'll turn it back over so you not one hour is not enough you need more than an hour two hours how long should a sermon be Father I think this is really a generational thing uh, it, it seems like older folk tend to think you know well if, if he didn't preach for 20 minutes i'm not getting my money's worth and then younger are like well you don't have to give all those illustrations you can get straight to the point i i don't think there is a timeline i think you make your point and one and done then you're done and oftentimes you can probably speak to this father it's the shorter sermons which are actually more difficult to do because it it to be a sniper takes some training and it and it's and it's hard to make your your point anyone can what i'm doing right now just mumble you know probably and and stammer and everything like that but no i i, I think you you make your point and you're done yeah i think economize your words if you're a preacher it's kind of like that tight writing that we learned in school or hopefully they're still teaching but uh, make your point and don't belabor it don't try to illustrate it to death make your point and go on less is more yeah in preaching yeah so the final thing and this is a good place to close and that is simply this and this will go back to previous episodes, we talk a lot about mercy and God being merciful. Sermons should always point people to the hope, the comfort, and the mercy found in Christ Jesus. It's not just mere moralisms where we get up there and we want people to be good citizens, right? Right. It is ultimately about the comfort, the hope, that we have in Christ. And sometimes there are some very challenging things that need to be said from the pulpit, because as you said, our Lord says some very challenging things. But it's always understood that even those challenging things are for our good. And ultimately, our hope, our comfort, and mercy is found in God, in the God who became flesh in Christ. Right. Even John the Baptist in the desert, you know, I think people often look at John as a, a turn and turn or burn preacher, uh, but he is preaching comfort. Yeah. And that is the Messiah has come. We now live in that age and it's it's a great age to live in. Yeah. So that is this episode. That'll conclude this section on the liturgy of the catechumen. Thank you again for joining us. And hopefully there have been some practical things that we've talked about that you can take from this. And some of those texts, you can go back and look on your own because they are great text. And yeah, so thank you again for listening. Thank you. All right, folks, that's a wrap for this week. We thank you for joining us again. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, leave us a comment on our podcast pages or send us an email at podcast at stphillipsblacksburg.org or you can also email us at podcast at anglicanprovince.org and we will do our best to address those. Thanks again and we will see you next week.